0: All right, welcome into the studio. It's Chad Gourd along with Ken Blanchard. Ken, welcome to the studio.
1: Well, good. It's always good to be with you, uh, Chad. You know, I love the guests you get on. Some of them I know, like I've met Patrick when he was just a youngster, and uh, I just think his stuff is fabulous. I came up to him and said, wow, you know, uh, you really got some great stuff, and let's, uh, let's, let's get a relationship and keep it going. Yeah. So in fact, Marge and I are going to a uh, you know, three or four-day program of that he's doing in, in, in the end of January, just so I can catch up with what his latest thinking is, and so it's a. Uh it kind of blows his mind when I called and said, "Can I register?" <laughs>
0: yeah, <You know? laughs> <laughs> love it. that's so good. So, so I uh, imagine, imagine me, Patrick Lencioni out in the in the in the studio, and then looking out in the fifth row, and there's Ken Blanchard, Fevers, and Margie taking notes yeah. and uh, and learning all that stuff. So, that's one of the really fun things about this podcast, and we're we're really profiling some of our favorite episodes of the first season, and and Patrick's really stood out his 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 uh, his latest research on the ideal team player.
1: Yes, and. You know, he, he does a great job of keeping things simple, too. You know, he, he and I believe that people can't learn more than three or four things, you know. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, he, his, his, his characteristics that you'll find out about being hungry, humbled, and smart, you know, the char- main characteristics of ideal team players, uh, you learn something. Because I learned something about, hmm, I ought to maybe work on this particular one. So listen and learn.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you about uh, being a team player. And you've been on a lot of teams. You you tell a lot of great stories about your, your prep career and, and yeah. the different teams you've been on. What do you think is the most important aspect? When you're sitting in a room with somebody, with a group of people, and it's clear you're forming this team, what's what's one of the most important things that you feel like you need to start off with to really get the team off on the right foot?
1: Well, you need a, a team vision. You know? you know, why are we here? What are we trying to accomplish? Because a lot of times people come together and they're, you know, they're, you know, running their wheels and everything, but they don't know where they're going. So I think the first thing uh, is, why are we here? You know, Simon Sinek says, start with why. With teams, I think you've got to start with why and get that clear. And in the process of developing a clear vision, you're already starting to work with each other and it'll set you up as, as you work on the things that you're there for
0: to one of the things we're doing in the next season of the Leader Chat Podcast is we're starting a new segment called Ask Ken yeah. and so people can send in their, their questions for to you um, uh, all they have to do is email us at podcast at kenblanchard.com that's podcast at kenblanchard.com any questions are in, in bounds for you right?
1: No yeah just give it to anything I'm interested in you know whether you're talking about marriage you're talking about business you're talking about golf or <laughs> basketball or any of the things that I I um, love.
0: Well, you know, I've asked, I've, 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 posed a lot of golf questions to you, but I may be hopeless.
1: That's right. Well, some people, it, golf spells game <laughs> of life first, you know, and you, you learn about a lot of yourself while you're out there.
0: Yeah. Well. Um, we are excited to bring you this, uh, this edition of the, uh, of the leader chat podcast with Patrick Lencioni. Um, so sit back and enjoy this, but make sure wherever you're listening to this, to hit subscribe and Ken, how important is feedback? If we can get a review from our listeners, how valuable is that?
1: Uh, Rick Tate, you know, you years ago said feedback is the breakfast of champions. And I think that's really good, you know, because you need feedback so you can continually get better.
0: I agree. Okay. Enjoy the episode, everyone. It's my distinct pleasure to welcome Patrick Lencioni to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Patrick, thank you so much for joining. It's
2: great to be here, Chad.
0: Well, we are excited to have you. You uh, you know, you, you, you have your, your hand in so many different things, a prolific author, keynote speaker, consultant. For those that may not be as familiar with your work, tell us how you got started.
2: You know, it, it's, an, it, it's a, uh, I don't know if it's an interesting story, but it's probably not typical. I'm kind of accidentally involved in this i uh got out of college and went to uh, and got a job at a management consulting firm. I thought it sounded pretty interesting management and consulting and I did neither there. I really was locked in a room doing doing a lot of grunt work and a lot of uh, analytics and so i I spent two years there and instead of going back to business school, I took another job at a company where i where I got involved in organizational stuff. Of course I didn't know what that meant and I don't think they did either. And from there I just started kind of teaching myself and I kept meaning to go back to grad school but I didn't because I got married and then I got promoted and before I knew it I was 10 years into my career and trying to figure out what I wanted to do and I, and I loved the human side of business, not in a touchy-feely way, but I just loved the human side of business. And so we started our own firm thinking maybe other companies out there might need this stuff and 19 years later, by the grace of God, it's, it's gone better than we could have ever expected it, and I started writing books because somebody saw one of my theories and said I should write a book, and I did, and I couldn't believe people actually read it, and publishers said, you should write more of these things, and, and here I am. So it, I, I can't say I planned it. I didn't, there wasn't really a career path for me. I just knew that there was something going on in business beyond analytics and marketing and strategy, and that there was something else preventing companies from succeeding, and that's what I've, I love to do.
0: And you know, looking at what you do at the at your organization, where you you really focus on organizational health, and I love that idea. I love the idea of if you can fix the organization and, and make sure that that the people are are uh, are functioning at a high level, the culture is strong. Um, that. People will will respond to that, and and I guess you have this you have this premise that you know people are happy where they are. They're going to be more effective at the the organization, and the organization is going to thrive.
2: Yes, absolutely, and and in fact, there's a big coincidence between people loving what they're doing and and in a functional environment, and the company actually performing well. And I I discovered this fairly early in my career, not knowing that this was a field at all. That I was finding that everybody was focused on being smart in terms of Mm -hmm. you got to know more about technology and finance and strategy and all those kind of things. And I thought, well, how come all these smart companies, the Silicon Valley's full of them, are so bright, but they're not succeeding? And what I realized is there's something more important than being smart, and that was being healthy. And, mm-hmm. and it's the reason why Southwest Airlines, a good friends of ours, and Chick-fil-A are so successful when there's plenty of people that know how to fly planes and fry up a chicken sandwich. They're not, and it's the culture. And culture isn't some soft, esoteric, touchy-feely thing. I'm not into that. It's actually about how things get done, and boy, that's a competitive advantage greater than anything else. So that's what we do. We help CEOs. The first thing we do is we tell them we don't do touchy feely stuff. We're not going to get naked and hold hands. We're going to help you build a culture that gets things done and people are going to feel dignified when they're there. They're going to love work and your company is going to do well. Your customers are going to love it. And so will your investors. So it's a beautiful thing that it all comes together.
0: How do you help those long-time brick-and-mortar organizations that where the culture seems so ingrained, and it's such a negative culture without naming any names, but how do you how do you pick, you know, you start at the top, and how do you, you bring about a, a, a sea change for a culture with an organization?
2: You know, it sounds trite, but it all starts with the person at the top, and they have to be bought into this. Organizational health is not something you can delegate to anyone. It's certainly not something you can ask HR to do or your chief operating officer. The person at the top has to say, I believe this is real and that it's a competitive advantage and I will start by demanding that my team believes that it's real. I'm going to show them, I'm going to, I'm going to hold them accountable for doing it. If you can do that at the top of an organization, you can turn around a company of four, 400,000 people. If you have a company of 40 people and you don't believe it at the top, nothing you do is going to make a difference. So it really does start with that leadership team which is where I spend 90 percent of my time is working with CEOs and their teams. Not because they're more fun to hang out with, but because they're the ones that set the tone. And I'm, I'm absolutely convinced of that. If the CEO is willing to put her or his you know, reputation on the line and make his team or her team do this and to carry it one level down, I believe it's going to take root.
0: So it starts at the top, and that's, that's our belief at the Ken Blanchard companies as well. If, we can, if any sort of initiative that we bring into the organization starts at the top as well, we know that that has a higher a chance of, of succeeding. So, so for you, top-level, uh, executive-level, CEO-level buy-in is is without a doubt paramount to the success of, of any initiative.
2: And oftentimes somebody in HR or another executive will come to us and say, hey, we really want to do this, and we'll sit down with the CEO, and, and if they're not on board, we just know it's, we're going to be Wasting their money and their time. Yeah. Really, it does. I mean, leadership really matters. And it's unfortunate that that sounds so trite because everybody talks about leadership, leadership. But the person at the top, whether it's a church, a school, a, a big corporation, or a, a department within a company, if the person at the top is not bought in, it isn't going to work.
0: Pat, how do you define leadership?
2: Well, I think it's, you know, and, and, and Ken has been a dear friend of mine over the years. And, and this idea of servant leadership that he writes about and speaks about so often is just so important. I think leadership is the person who's willing to suffer the most in an organization for others. I believe that it really is a sacrificial duty and a sacrificial role. And and so I think leading means I will be last to make the organization better. And I'll be first to take the blame and first to share um, the credit. And so I think it's far rarer in society today than we think. We, everybody goes to graduation speeches and hears people say, Here, be a leader, go out and change the world. And I think, you know, don't do that if you don't want to suffer for others. Because when people become leaders and it's about themselves, they do really, really bad things. So I think leadership is really about being a sacrificial person willing to suffer. That's not a very good recruiting message, but it usually gets the right people mm who understand why they're doing it. So, I mean, that's not the definition of leadership, but I think it's the one thing that separates those who really want to lead from those who that don't.
0: That's a, that's a deep message. I appreciate you sharing that with me. So we, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about your books. And, uh, and you said you, uh, and, and it's interesting, your story about how you got into being an author is very similar to Dr. Henry Cloud's message. Well. One of my favorite um, people
2: in the world, Dan Henry Cloud. I could listen to that guy speak all day long.
0: He's, yeah, he's fantastic. I enjoyed my discussion with him as well. And he, um, yeah, he talked about it. He had his, all his theories on flip charts everywhere. And somebody said, you, let's, we want to buy that. And he'd said, well, we've got I don't really have that. It's just on flip charts. And so <laughs> we should write a book. And so it sounds like a very thi- similar thing with, with your Absolutely. experience. So, so my first uh, introduction with you, many people um, with, and I love, I don't know who is in charge of some of your, your book titles. I think a book title goes a long way <laughs> to get people to pick up a book, but The Five Dysfunctions of a Team um, was really my introduction to you. And and we're here to talk about your newest book, The Ideal Team Player. Do you see this as a follow-up? Do you see this as, a, as going deeper on, on that first book?
2: Absolutely. In fact, I mean, and I gosh, how many, I think I wrote eight books or seven books in between, which shocks me because I didn't. After I wrote the first one, I thought I must be done, and then another idea came, and every time I finish, I think, well, this might be my last one, because I don't ever want to write a book about something unless I think I, there's something important that needs to be said. So when it came to the ideal team player, it had been seven or eight books in between, and we we didn't really realize this was going to be a book, but one of my friends, an author named Matthew Kelly, a good friend of mine, he he knew about this theory that we had kind of accidentally discovered about the kind of qualities that would make somebody good at the five dysfunction. He said, when are you going to write a book about that? And I said, I don't know. Do you think that's a book? He goes, yeah, I think it's a book. So we sat down and worked with it and we said, oh my gosh, I think it is. And you know something, Chad, it's, it's selling more than any book I've ever written. And I will tell you, it's the book I struggled with the most in terms of, is there enough here? And I think the simplicity of it is really resonating with people. And it's a follow on to the five dysfunctions Because it's really about, okay, the five dysfunctions is here's the things any group of people has to do to be an effective team. But the question is, are there some people that are just better at that than others? And I didn't answer that question after I wrote the book the first time, but then I realized that there was an answer. It happened to be my firm's core values, but we didn't realize it at the time because I was too too slow to, to, to make the realization.
0: So you touched on a little bit of that, but let's, let's, dig in. let's dig into this book a little bit. What are you trying to get across with the ideal team player?
2: What I'm trying to get across is there are, there are these virtues that if you can find them in people and nurture them in the people that currently work with you and find them in people you want to hire, it makes the team-building process so much faster and easier. And, and their virtues, they're not permanent qualities. Virtues are something that you can aspire to and develop. But there are virtues that if a person doesn't have them, you're gonna be, it's going to be much more difficult to, to make yeah. the team work. And the three virtues are very simple. In fact, it's a disarmingly simple book because the virtues yeah. are humble, mm-hmm. hungry, and smart. If a person's going to be a good team player, they have to be humble, really based in others, not themselves. And As Ken likes to say, a humble person is not one who, he quotes C.S. Lewis on this, is not one who thinks less of themselves, they just think about themselves less. less. And then the second one is hungry. Do they work hard? Are they innately desiring to work hard? And the last one is smart, not about book smart, but people smart. And, and the funny thing is as simple as those are, the Venn diagram, the overlap between those three virtues, there's something kind of powerful there. Whereas if you can find people that share all of those virtues, man, it's a home run. And if a person's lacking one or more of those virtues, it's, it's much more difficult. So a
0: question I ask with, within all of these discussions, it always comes out in my mind, uh, are there people that, I hate to say, are, is it hopeless? I, can, can people be trained? Can they, can they develop these skills? Can they get better and better at these skills? Or, or are there just some people that won't fit into a team environment? For
2: the vast majority of people, you can develop them. There are people you'll meet um, who are, you would need years of deep psychotherapy You know, and 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 a miraculous change in their in their personality, and and that's and mainly if they just are not comfortable being vulnerable. There's some people that have been scarred in their lives, and they just can't admit when they're wrong. They just can't be more interested in others. They just can't celebrate others. It's all about them. And I've run into a few people like that where you just hit a brick wall, and you realize it's you can't possibly justify the time and energy to do this and still run the organization some people's work ethic they just can't be hungry and we've seen some people like that they just never got told and taught how to work hard but again very few people can't overcome these things but i would be remiss if i didn't say yeah there's some people that just don't belong on teams but the vast majority of people can do it so i would say generally you can develop these things i really believe that
0: so when you look at the book, do you see this as a development tool? So these are the areas you need to focus on and beef up and 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 uh, and, and increase in your your day to day these virtues, or do you see this as an as a as an identification process? So these are the people you want to really focus on.
2: The answer is yes, <laughs> it's both, <laughs> and because I, I I like the I mean you hire people once and it's really important to hire people. And I think a lot of people are seeing that. Oh my gosh! If in the interview process we really look for humble, hungry, and smart, we're gonna avoid hiring those people that crush us and that waste money and time and, 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 and that ruin one another's lives and make work unfulfilling. So it, that, it's really valuable in that. And we have a lot of tools in the book about how to hire and how to ask questions and how to really understand the, the deeper virtues of those people. But I love the developmental part. I love working with a team and saying, hey, everybody, well, this is my favorite exercise. Everybody, let's look at humble, hungry, smart. We'll define it real fast. Everybody rank yourself. First, Mm -hmm. second, and third. Even if you're wonderful, you have a third. Even if you struggle with a lot of them, one of them's third. Let's all Mm -hmm. identify our own third area of these three. And then let's talk about what each of us could actually do to improve in that area. Man, I see people being really willing to acknowledge what area they, they need help in and to ask the people around them to coach them on a daily basis. I love to see people getting better. It's not just buy and sell decisions about should we hire them, should we fire them but how can we make people better versions of themselves so so you can do both and i think a lot of people are using it as a hiring tool but i think it's a very powerful development tool as well
0: so one of the the joys of of being able to do this podcast is is i i kind of luck into some free coaching here so let's let's say that that i did that exercise and let's say that because i have to choose one um, hungry let 's just say that 's my third right. let 's just say for whatever reason um, and you 're my coach now you 're walking me through that what, what would that discussion look like well for,
2: so so let 's understand what that might mean That might mean like you know I, I work hard, but sometimes finishing things isn 't my thing, or mm-hmm. I, you know it's, i just i enjoy other things in life and, and maybe I need to be more a little bit more diligent about, about taking things to the, to, the, to the next level and making sure that things are finished and helping my colleagues with their work when I'm done with mine. And I would say, okay, that's good. First of all, realize this can be dealt with. The second thing I would say is you've got to admit it to your team members. You've got to say that mm-hmm. you guys have to know this. Whether or not you're aware of it or not, I know deep down inside of the three things this is the area I need help with. And I'm not only going to ask you, I'm going to really demand that you guys be honest with me so that I can get better at this. That's the first thing because they're going to see it And if you can get them to be open with you and love you enough to tell you the truth, that's gonna be the best thing. The other thing I would say is I'd say, whenever you notice yourself doing one of these things, call it out, call it out to others as well. I think the first and the biggest challenge we have is awareness and the second one is the vulnerability to admit it to others. You're not going to be able to do this on your own, probably, because if you could, you'd have done it already. And I would say, if I'm your coach, I would say make sure that the people that work with you every day become your primary coaches. So what I would probably do is say, how much are you checking in with them? How honest are they with you? How much are you demanding that they give you difficult feedback, even when they might not want to? So I'd probably coach you more about how you manage your real coaches, which is your colleagues and your coworkers. Because I'm not going to see you every day, and I'm not going to be able to say, hey, Chad, it right. looked like you short-armed that. It looks like you didn't finish yeah. that. It looks like you're not yeah. really putting enough effort into this. The people that you work with every day, man, when, when your family members, friends, and coworkers can tell you things about yourself that, that the average person won't, man, you, you're, that's a golden situation for you.
0: It is, and it's, it's, uh, it speaks to vulnerability. It yep. speaks to um, the ability, because some of the things you're saying are, are really are, are triggering some, triggering some uh, conversation that I had with Brene Brown in an earlier recording where she talked about you know, it's a beautiful thing when people are, are really honest with you. Um, and then you can be honest with yourself, and you can be honest back, and, and therefore
2: there's no filter. And we live in obviously. a society that doesn't value that. We think our job – we live in a society that says affirm everyone and everything. You know, don't ever say to somebody, hey, I don't think that's good for you. I don't think you should do that. I don't think that's that's going to lead to good things for you. So we live in a world where everybody's saying, oh, yeah, terrific. And the the most valuable, like I said, the golden situations. And we have somebody who loves you enough to tell you the truth, even when it hurts. And if you can nurture relationships like that, it's going to change your life. There's a lot of people in the world who have nobody, a lot of leaders who have nobody that are willing to tell them when they're naked. And uh, man, we need that. We need it bad.
0: I'll be back with the rest of the interview in just a moment, but I want to share a unique offer with you. In December, the revised edition of Leading at a Higher Level by Ken Blanchard and the founding associates and consulting partners of the Ken Blanchard Companies will be released. How would you like to receive a free copy of the new book? All you have to do is subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it and write a review. Then just send an email to podcast at kenblanchard.com with leader chat in the subject line And in the body of the email, write your information and the date of the review. At the end of December, we'll select five lucky winners who will receive a signed copy of Leading at a Higher Level. So you, So we've talked about how this could be a diagnostic tool and about how it can be a self-development um, the, the uh, opportunity for you and for team members. Um, and then we also talked about it being a, a selection process. So is this something that you, you heartily recommend if you're putting a team together, if you're even um, looking at hiring practices? Yes,
2: and, and I, I do like talking about this because I'm amazed at – Um, You know, I joined the workforce in 1987 after I got out of college, and I don't think interviews have changed that much in most organizations. We still sit behind a desk and and answer questions off of our resume, and and, and there's so many better ways to go about understanding what what virtues a person has that are going to make them a good team player. We still hire too much for technical skills or measurable skills, and we don't get to the behavioral stuff. And whether you're putting together a professional basketball team or a staff at church or hiring an executive team at a software company, those behavioral things are huge and independent of your company's values. If you find humble, hungry and smart people, and there are ways to get at that in interview questions. If you can find people like that, life is going to get a lot easier. And it's, it's a serious competitive advantage. One that has ramifications on the bottom line, whether or not we can calculate that accurately.
0: Now, without giving away the whole, the whole book, uh, what are some ways, for instance, you could really target in, a, in an interview process SMART?
2: Well, if you're looking for SMART, one of the things you're doing is you're, you're asking people to – that's one of the things you're actually looking at in the interview itself. More than the questions and the way they answer them, it's how they deal with other people. And one of the things I say is get them out of the office when you interview them. Take them mm. – you know, they say the best way to interview somebody would be to take them on a cross-country flight. Because by the time you get to the other end, you're going to know if you want to – if you're sitting next to them, if you want to work with them. So well you can't do that. But what I do is I get them out of the office. I want to take them on to run an errand. I want to see them in, the, in, in, a, in, a, in a store, or I want to take them to my kid's soccer practice and see how they deal with a bunch of eight-year-olds. You know – I, I think you got to get people out of the office and see how they actually manage in, in the real world, because that tells me a lot about smart. Do they seem to understand how people are feeling? Are they appropriate? Do they get people? Do they seem comfortable in their own skin? There's questions you can ask them, and there's certain – but but – if it's too rehearsed, you don't really know. The other thing yeah. is do group interviews. You know, sit there with five people on your team with this one person and see how they interact with people and how they deal with the group environment because most people in the world are going to have to work with groups of people. So I, I think the smart part is oftentimes about the process of how you're interviewing people more than just the questions you ask them in the interview. It's almost the context for the interview itself
0: so important to hire for culture fit is what I'm hearing from you.
2: Oh yeah, you can teach people how to do a lot of things. Most of the people that I hire do three jobs in their first year because I'm not very good at figuring out exactly what they should do, but if they're a good fit, they're, they're here forever. And, 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 and then I've hired other people that had the technical skills, but I didn't pay enough attention to the culture and it burned me. And so I had a friend recently who hired somebody and the woman did not work out for her. And, and after a year of working there, a couple of, this, of the employees, good employees quit because of this lady. And it cost the company lots of money in in severance and and a lot of – it set them back. And you know what she told me? She said, Pat, if I had just taken this woman shopping, I'd have seen the behavioral stuff. I never did it. I was so in a hurry to hire her. She had all the right resume requirements. I I did a couple interviews, but nothing that really showed me what she was really like. So it's so critical to get them out out of their skin a little bit.
0: You have such great energy; it comes it comes across so so authentically um, through the through the you know through the my earphones, oh, I guess I could say, because we're doing this, and I, I I could tell that you love what you do. Yes. Why do you why do you love this so much? Because you you walk into some some. Uh, some wastelands of organizations from time to time, where you have you have to really roll up your sleeves and and it's really heavy heavy lifting. Um, why is it that that, that that really what gets you up every day and and lets you kind of bust through that door well, ready to go? You know,
2: Chad, I think it's it's a n- neat question. It's good to reflect on this. I, God made me an ENFP, you know, and and, mm-hmm. and that, that that's called a catalyst. And I really love bringing out the best in other people. I really love that. And and when I was a kid, I remember my dad used to come home from work and he was really good at what he did and I loved him, God rest his soul. But, but he was frustrated by management and his company. And I was a little kid, I didn't know what the hell that meant. I just knew that, one, I loved my dad and I wanted him to enjoy his job. And two, I was going to get one of those job things one day and I had to deal with that too, I, I would have to. And so early on I said, why do people think work is supposed to be miserable? Mm. And when I got my first job, it was miserable. And I had a job that paid well and was supposed to be great. And I remember thinking, this is crazy. Wouldn't this company do better if people actually could be themselves and, and, and do their best at work. So for whatever reason, God just put in my heart the desire to let other people enjoy work, know who they are, become a better person. And I love seeing how they treat their family members and their friends and their colleagues as a result of that. So that just makes me excited. The other thing is I'm not that smart. I don't think, you know, I, I, I don't come from like a long line of educated family members and i didn't go get a graduate degree i love helping people see simple things that they're just overlooking because they're too too bent on finding something complicated and so the combination between simplicity and watching people flower when they're frustrated just makes me excited and I, i do think i can't hide that i really enjoy that in my job i'm very blessed
0: I love that. I, I'm going to paraphrase here very poorly, but it's something that it reminds me of something that Ken, Ken said once about uh, a few times about how if we do our job right and if we help develop these people in the right way, then we're not going to be a discussion at the dinner table. And that is probably one of the best
2: gifts exactly. you can have. Exactly. Or, or maybe we do it so well that we become the discussion, which is like that people go, I want to know this person. I want to, I want to learn from them. And Ken helped me see this. Ken and I met. We were in, uh, of all places, Saskatchewan, Canada. Which is as remote of, it's like in the middle of Canada, it's like six hours north of North Dakota or something, and, and I was speaking at an event, and I go outside, and it's, it's, it's snowy, and I, I get off stage, and here's this guy standing there who had the humility of, I thought he was my driver. He was the nicest guy, and I didn't – I knew of Ken Blanchard, but I didn't know him, and he was just so interested in me and what I was talking about, and, and he was the first one to say, you know, Pat, all of this stuff you're teaching is in the Bible. And, I, of course, being a longtime Catholic and Christian, I was like, uh, yeah, I knew that, <laughs> but he made that connection for me, and, um, and it's just a wonderful thing to, to meet somebody like him. He's that guy you do want to talk about at the dinner table.
0: Yeah, and uh, I've said it many a times, uh, and I've said it to him. I've said it uh, about him. I've said it around um, one of the most authentic um, men, or probably the most authentic um, man I've ever met in my life. And, just just and a,
2: generous. yeah,
0: incredibly generous. Be interested yes. in
2: others before himself, for sure.
0: Well, listen, we've just got a couple more questions here. so. You know, the goal of, of of this podcast is really to uh, to help you know those learning development and talent development people in in organizations who haven't had a chance to pick up a book yet. It's you know to, to let them know the ones that are out there they should be really picking up because um, they're all so busy. So w- when you think about that group, you know, the L and D folks and the, the the talent folks. What are some natural connections between what you're you're covering and then this your latest book and your latest teachings out there and what they might be trying to achieve in their organization?
2: Well I think that, you know, there's so many I, learning and development is so interesting in training and how could we can make people better. Sometimes if we can reduce it down to a very simple process and say Let's, let's go back and see if, how well all of our people are doing in these three areas. Because I, what I find is people are very open to talking about these. They, they look at this list and they go, oh my gosh, if I could do that, I'd be incredible. I was talking to my 14-year-old son about it the other day, and he was able to analyze himself and go, yeah, I probably hmm. need to be, be more humble, Dad. I'm, I think I'm hungry, but I don't think I'm humble enough. So people really hmm. really resonate with this. And right away, they're like, what can you do to help me? So I think having this conversation turns an employee into someone who really wants to get better. And it gives them a simple enough model so they don't feel like, how many modules do I have to do and how many things? I think sometimes people are like, just give me the simplest plan I can have to become better. So I think for a lot of L&D people, a lot of times they're looking for simple tools and ways to help their people understand self-improvement. And um, sometimes that's the best, the best tool of all.
0: Awareness is, a, is an amazing gift. Yeah,
2: and I think if it's too too detailed, too, too complicated, people get lost.
0: All right. Last question. As we wrap up, what is one thing that you hope the listeners today will take away from our conversation?
2: You know, I, I think that, that they can understand that virtues matter. And I, we call them virtues for a reason. Um, they're not characteristics. They're not traits that are endemic. I think that we all aspire to virtue and humility is the, is the greatest of all virtues. And we start there because I think if we can make people more virtuous and more hungry to grow in virtue, everybody wins. And so I guess I want people to have a sense of hope and a sense of, hey, I'm not perfect. We're all, we're all broken. But if we can have a sense of that we can get better and a, and a way to do that, that's, that's good news.
0: So what are you excited about right now, and and where can people find you if they want to learn more?
2: Well, I'm sure there's ways to find me that I'm not even aware of because I'm not the most (laughs) connected guy in the world. My staff kind (laughs) of keeps me off of things because they know I would get too distracted. But um, the website, tablegroup.com, is the place where where people can go find me and and connect with me. I know I have a LinkedIn page, and we do monitor that, and there's a lot of people out there beyond me writing about our stuff. Um, I have a Facebook page, but again, I'm not allowed to look at it because I, I'd probably be, um, you know, too distracted. And so that's probably, and we, t- we tweet, you know, people can sign up. We're, we're starting to get into that more and more. I'm not telling people what I had for breakfast, but when we have something that's interesting to say, we try to put it out there. Um, so those are probably the best ways. And what I'm excited about right now, man, every day is different. You know, I, I think right now in my life, I'm most excited about my 10-year-old, and 14-year-old. My 18-year-old boys are in college, and I thank God for that. And I have these two younger sons at home, and I'm just really enjoying them. And my wife and I are having fun with that. So as far as work goes, I know there's another book coming, but we're not sure yet. We're looking at that, making sure it's it's worthwhile. And um, I'm happy for Christmas. Yeah.
0: It's a good time of year. I don't know when this is going to
2: air. This might air in February, in which case I hope everybody had a great Christmas. But right now, I'm looking forward to Christmas.
0: This will, be, this will air after Christmas, but who knows? Maybe people will download it and subscribe to it next Christmas, and it will be very timely for them then. There you go. <laughs> well, listen, so I appreciate Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Patrick, thank you so much. We were talking to Patrick Lencioni here on the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure connecting with you. God bless you. Thank you as well for listening today. If you enjoyed this interview and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to search for Blanchard Leader Chat. That's Leader Chat all one word. The best way you can help us grow is feedback. As Ken likes to say, feedback is the breakfast of champions. So please write us a review so we can continue to bring these important messages to you and also grow and learn from what you share. This podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization. Thanks again for our guest for joining us today. For now, I have the pleasure of turning it over to Ken Blanchard for his thoughts on what we discussed. Here it is, your final minute with Ken Blanchard.
1: As you could tell, uh, Patrick and I have a mutual admiration society. I just think he's just a fabulous young man. I'm just so excited that these young people are coming up, you know, the Henry Clouds and the Brene Browns and the Simon Sinek, you know, I mean. At at 77, and you know, I have to admit, I might not be around forever, but it's just so great that these great minds are going to be here. And Patrick and I agree that uh, culture comes first. You know, if you're really going to help somebody uh, create a great organization, you got to look at what is their culture? How do they operate with their people? Uh, and uh, all the great ones, he was talking about Southwest Airlines and Chick-fil-A, they all think, as I've said a number of times, that their people are their number one customer, and if you take care of your people, empower them and love on them, then they go out of the way to take care of your number two customer, your people use your products and services, and then they become raving fans, and that takes care of the owners. Uh, so it's really kind of simple. Uh, one of the things I really loved is him talking about the virtues, and I think you really need to think about, where are you in the humble, hungry, smart uh, thing? Uh, you know, uh, I think the one I need to work on uh, is the this, this smart one, you know. My mom always said, now Ken, don't act like you're a big deal. You're not better than anybody else. God didn't make any junk, you know. And then my father said, Ken, if you're gonna do anything, throw your whole heart into it and, and do it, you know. And uh, smart, you know, I was uh, in school, you know, Patrick and I are both, uh, you know, uh, ENFPs, you know, and schools don't always know how to deal with us, you know. And so I wasn't you know, applauded for my smartness. And so I think that's why I've uh, worked with so many people of all the books I've written over 60. I've only written two by myself and I just love to learn. So uh, I'm continuing uh, working on that smart learning uh, piece. But it really is interesting to look at those in terms of team members because once you have those, they're humbled and they're really ready to work and hard and, and they, they're, they're learners. Wow, you got something. So thanks, Patrick. Uh, You're fabulous. And uh, I think this is a powerful, powerful uh, message for you all. God bless. Take care of yourself. And Patrick, you're the best.